Oh, okay. I was going to let you do it first because you complained last week. Wow, how thoughtful of you. Yeah. To think of someone other than yourself. Shut up. Don't even. All right. So, uh, we're a little late this week because um, we were busy and a little lazy, going to be honest. Um, no, it was just every day I got home from my internship, I immediately fell asleep and slept until 10 p.m. And, and woke up, got my pajamas on, and then slept again until <laughs> the next morning. So, very tired. Yeah, yeah. Long week. All right. So, what are we doing? January. Jays. Jays. Yep. All right. Yep. Yep. You gonna go? Yep. Oh my god. Oh, first? we started watching the uh, the Outsider on oh, HBO. Oh, new episodes on tonight. Yeah, and uh, yes. highly recommend for based all uh, of, few um, fans out there. Yeah, based off a Stephen King book. Now, movie, show. Show. Jason Bateman. Kind of. Oh, yeah. Not going to spoil anything. Okay. It's an unsolved murder, but then now it seems like there's something supernatural. Yeah. Uh, we're, what is it? We've watched three episodes? Yeah. yeah so. There is a detective with, um, I'm pretty sure she has autism. So that's cool to see. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So, Okay. Yeah, we highly recommend. It's cool. Really cool. Yeah. I was hooked like Ooh, was a, a few one. minutes in. Like, yeah, this yeah, show's awesome. It's, it's, yeah. It's pretty good. But it's Stephen King, so what did we expect, you know? At least it's not an evil car. Okay. Whatever. Christine Jay, is awesome. Have you ever even seen Christine? <laughs> I watched it not too long ago. Mm. You don't remember? But did you read You're the book? You're probably sleeping. Did you read the book, though? No, I didn't read the book. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I Shut know. up. You don't know how to read. Okay. So, we're doing J murders with the letter J. No related shit. Related in any way. So, um, I'm going first, I guess. Uh, Sure. Mine's kind of long. I was going to just take long? an issue. Yeah, mine is, too. Okay. Well, we got really too long. So, buckle in. Strap in. Buckle up. Buckle out. <laughs> um, so I was like, my sister was like, you should do this one. Like, do you remember this one from when we were kids? You should, you should do this one. And I was like, okay. So I was just going to be like, screw the J. I didn't do that. But then I found out that the murderer. You can't do that. Shut up. The murderer was born in June. So that's the J in this story. I thought this was names. No, I said it could be J of any kind related. Oh, okay. Well, whatever. Well, that's what I did, so. Deal with it. So, I wouldn't call this a hometown murder um, because it didn't happen in my hometown, but it happened very close to where I grew up in southern Illinois. Um, and I remember, like, kids my age would always talk about this because it was so messed up. Um, and... You know when we drive to my parents' house to visit and we're on the interstate, we're on, um, let's see, this is after Mount Vernon, so we're on 57, 
And I'm like, if you look to your left, you'll see a prison. And if you look to your right, you'll see another prison. But it's actually the junior college. Yeah. Okay, so this happened, like, right there. Hmm. Um, so, um, let's get to it. In 1986, um, Keith and Elaine Dardine moved to Ina, Illinois, which is where Ren Lake Junior College is at. It's where Muddy River Prison is at. Um, and it happened really close to those two yeah. spots. Yeah. Which it's like the only thing in Ina is those two buildings. So, and like a gas station. Um, so, uh, they moved to Ina where Keith, um, he had purchased a trailer um, after he had completed his job training as a treatment plant operator at the Water Conservatory um, for Wren Lake. Um, I don't know what kind of training goes into this job, but apparently he finished it, <laughs> bought this trailer, um, and he the land that the trailer sat on, they were renting from um, this family who lived right near them. Um, so they had a two year old son named Peter and they were like a completely just typical family. Um, Elaine worked at an office supply store. Like he worked for this conservator water conservatory and they were like in the church choir together. He sang, she played piano, you know, mm -hmm. this two year old boy, um, originally both from Illinois, uh, just totally, totally normal. Um, so in 1987, so a year after they moved here, the or moved to Ina, the couple learned that Elaine was pregnant with their second child. Uh oh. Um. Yeah, I know. So they decided that they wanted to move before the newborn arrived. Um. So by late 1987, they had put their trailer up for sale. Um, and apparently, I didn't know this about Jefferson County, but um, Keith had told his mother that they wanted to move because in the past two years of them living in that area, um, there had been 15 homicides throughout the county. And homicides? Hom homicides. <laughs> and the homicides, people killing people, should be a homicide, um, throughout the county, and they feared that the area was getting too jank too dangerous so one of the most like notorious crimes that i almost did instead of this one was um in mount vernon illinois which is like 10 maybe 15 minutes away from ina um a boy came like a 20 year old boy came home and like murdered his five family members what the heck but he was on drugs so i was like eh. i mean it's weird but like he was just tripping yeah. So it's not like, whoa, that's crazy. Um, Still crazy. I mean, it is, yeah, but drugs, man. Okay, so. They're bad, okay? Mm-hmm. On November 18th, 1987, Keith Dardine, he didn't show up to work, um, which was very unlike him because he had developed a reputation of being a, you know, a good, reliable worker that if something happened, he would call in, but he didn't call in that day. Um, I so wonder why. So his boss was like, this is strange. So he called Keith's house all day, but the phone just rang and rang and rang. No one answered all day. Eventually, Keith's um, boss called his parents, Keith's parents, and told them, like, hey, 
Keith hasn't shown up to work all day. He didn't call to let us know what's going on. This is weird. So Keith's father called the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office, and he was like, I have a spare key to their trailer. I will drive down there and meet you with the spare key, but you you need to meet me at the trailer because if something's wrong, I don't want to go in there by myself. Um, so that's what they did. They met at this trailer to do this wellness check, and when they entered the home, what they found was disturbing. Are you ready? Uh, yeah, you told me to strap in earlier. What so. do you think they found? Uh, a dead body. Wrong. Oh. I'm kidding. They found multiple dead bodies. Oh. Inside the trailer were the dead bodies of 30-year-old Elaine Dardine and her now three-year-old son, Peter. Wait, inside the trailer? Mm-hmm. Was it Nick from the ranch? <laughs> what? You don't remember? Oh, uh, no. That was like an RV. No, it was a trailer. Oh. This is like a full link, like one of those brown, like tin trail, like, you know, oh. metal siding yeah. trailers. Yeah. With like the brown under, like the dark brown underskirt. Yeah. And like the tan siding. Yeah. No, I got it. Was, it. I got it. It was the 80s. And yeah. Everything was like brown. Um, sorry. It's fine. I am getting a drink of water. You're just loud as fuck. Does that mess up your, um. Yeah, it does. Your tunings. Sorry. Okay. So, inside the trailer, three dead, or, whoops, they found two bodies, 30-year-old Elaine Dardine, her three-year-old son, Peter. Um, They had been bound and gagged with duct tape and beaten to death with a baseball bat that had been a birthday gift to Peter from his father. Jesus. Earlier that year. Yeah. Um, So, the most messed up thing about this was that the trauma of being so severely beaten had caused Elaine to go into labor. Well, uh, that makes sense. Because, like, uh, stress can mm-hmm. induce that. Yeah. And she gave birth to a daughter while all of this was happening. Um, and the newborn was also beaten to death. Oh, my. That is disgusting. Yeah. Um, Probably because it didn't stop crying during the whole thing. Uh, yeah. I, I heard different ways, like, that he killed it. I'm, uh, I'm sure ew. he did it with the bat that he used with, you know. That is, oh, my God. I also heard that he, like, oh, I don't want to. Okay, never mind. That he, like, stomped on it. but Oh, my gosh. Yeah, messed up. Um, And then the most disturbing part of this, the three bodies were all tucked into bed together. That is messed up. Um, and that's how they were found by Jefferson County Police and Don Dardine. That's like the one story we did when they found them in the, like, sitting on each other in their room. <laughs> oh, We did the, a few weeks ago. Fa- yeah. Oh, wait, what? Yeah, I forget which one it is. The farm, where they're all, like, stacked up on top of each other? No. Remember I did one? They, I, I don't remember the name. I'm drawing a blank. Just a few weeks oh, ago. I- yeah. They found them like in their in the room, and they were like sitting. One was sitting on the other. Obviously, you don't remember I either. Don't. I can't remember anything anymore. Um, okay, so now we know. Messed up. All right, so it was quickly um, observed that Keith was obviously not in the family home. So naturally, the police were like, "Hey, he murdered his family and fled." Um, However, the next day, police received a phone call that Keith's body 
had been found by a group of hunters in a wheat field near his trailer. Um, so, like, really close to his trailer, actually. Yeah. They found his body, um, which I don't know why they didn't find it, like, when they found Okay, anyway. Um, he had been shot three times, and his penis had been cut off. Ew. Um, 11 and ouch. Huh? Yeah. And ouch. Yeah. Oh, my leg's asleep. 11 miles from the Dardine home, the family car, a 1981 Plymouth, was found parked outside of the Benton police station. And the inside was spattered with blood. How ballsy is that? Ballsy. You murder a family, you drive their car, park it outside of a police station, and leave it there. Anyway, this was before, like, there were, um, what are they called? Like, CCTV. Like, cameras and stuff. Mm. Um, okay, so, whoop, whoopsie. Hit my microphone. Okay, so news of the killings, um, made the area residents even more fearful than they had already been. Obviously, this type of thing just didn't happen in southern Illinois. It didn't. Like, there would be homicides, you know. Um, I said it right. Homicides. Home. You saw, yeah. Homicides. Yeah. There would be homicides, you know, um, like one-offs and stuff. But yeah. whole families being brutally slain in their home, that just didn't happen. So, everyone was freaking out. Um, many residents began going about their daily business with shotguns visible in their vehicle's gun racks. Um, yeah. After high school basketball games, students would wait in the school building for their parents to come inside and walk with them to the parking lot um, to drive them home instead of, like, you know, teenagers, like, go outside and talk and stand in the parking lot and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, no one would go outside at night. Um, one man uh, who said he lived a half mile from the Dardines trailer told um, the police chief that he was, no, sorry, told um, his physician, who was also a coroner for the case at the time, which small town stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, he told his physician that he was having difficulty sleeping and he had actually lost 14 pounds because he was so stressed out. Wow. Yeah, about this. Um, and then the Dardine's landlord's daughter, so the land that their trailer sat on, um, the people who rented the land out to them, their daughter, um, years after this happened, told her parents that um, she kept her bedroom light on and read all through the night for years out of fear because she was so scared to sleep. So that was her way of staying up? Yeah. Because she was so scared of falling asleep in the dark. Um, so there were a lot, a lot of rumors going around after this murder. Because for some reason, like, two different coroners in different counties were working on the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had differing opinions. Um, I don't know. I think Benton is in Jefferson County. I can't remember. But it might be because the car was found. In oh. I don't know. I can't remember, but, um, so there was, like, a lot of differing opinions about some things, like, um, Keith's cause of death, one coroner thought it was from the gunshot wounds, another coroner thought it was from, um, blunt force trauma to the head from being, like, dragged to the field, um, and then they thought, um, initially they thought it might have been the work of Satanists because, um, Keith's penis had been dismembered, 
Um, this was also the late 80s, so satanic panic was a huge ordeal in the United States. Satanic panic? I've mm-hmm. never heard of that. You've never heard of that? No. Oh, yeah, it was like the big Satanist cult was like huge in the 80s. Hmm. Um, so what like, was that other movie we watched last week? It was about, um, oh, remember? It was that cult. Oh, Midsummer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was weird as fuck. I was talking to some of my coworkers about that. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was weird. Yeah, very weird. Um, but, yeah, everyone thought that, you know, any weird, crazy crime that happened, they automatically blamed it on Satanists. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but the police were like, no, this isn't the work of Satanists, because usually when Satanic cults do this, there is, um, they leave candles at the scene, they harvest organs, they um like mutilate the bodies more than what these bodies were so they were pretty sure it wasn't satanist um so being in elementary school in the early 2000s this was still talked about because the killer wasn't found until like 2000 Hmm. um which i'll talk about but um i remember like classmates and i would like always talk about this in grade school and stuff and anytime we'd go on a field trip and up 57 and we'd pass like the big muddy and um, we're in like college, they'd be like, oh, this is where that like family was murdered. And you guys would drive that far for. Yeah, I don't know where we'd go. But oh, that's far. Probably somewhere in Mount Vernon. Oh, no, not, it's only like 30 minutes. Oh, from my school. Oh, I thought it was longer than that. No. Never mind. No, Mount Vernon's like 35 minutes from yeah. wh- where I went to school. Oh, so. OK, never mind. Yeah. Um, I thought it was farther. Nah. So, yeah, we'd always talk about this. Um, and I always remember my classmates, like, telling me that he... I always remember they said that the killer jumped off the train tracks because the trailer was right near the train tracks, which I will get into and was true, um, and that the killer had cut the baby out of Elaine's, you know. Oh, so she wasn't... Yeah, she didn't. I always heard that. And that's when my sister, the other last weekend or whatever, was like, you should do this, you know, like this thing on your podcast. I asked her, oh, the guy who cut the baby out of the woman's stomach. And she was the one that was like, no, he like she gave birth because of mm. the trauma and he like killed it. And when I read the Wikipedia, that has actually what happened. So, um, yeah, that was a huge rumor that went around. Um, it wasn't just my like second grade classmates telling me this it was like everyone you know believed that he had cut it out yeah but you know telephone game right 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 um so local police joined forces with illinois state police to investigate the crime a total of 30 detectives worked full-time following leads and interviewing at least 100 people um to find who did this mm-hmm. um but they didn't they never found anyone um there was one man taken into custody early on in the um in the investigation but was released after being questioned and another guy taken into custody was a co-worker of keith's um with whom he had he had gotten into a dispute earlier um but they brought him in and he was cleared so they had no idea who the who had done this um 
So everyone who knew this couple, didn't, they never had anything bad to say about them. Like, they were a nice couple. They didn't get into anything um, illegal, dangerous, shady. Like, they were just typical all-American. Yeah. Um, a small quantity of marijuana was found in the trailer, but oh. not enough to suggest that they were involved in drug dealing. So police were able to cancel that out. Um, and they also believe that the um, weed might have been left behind by whoever did the crime. Um, because no drugs or alcohol were found in any of the victims when they did the autopsy. So, autopsies. Um, which, like, even if they did smoke a little weed, like, whatever. Like, who doesn't, you know? Mm-hmm. Especially in the 80s. I feel like everyone smoked then, but, um, and still does. But, nope. So, that wasn't it. Okay, so the coroner's... Put the time of death for the Dardine family at within um, one hour of, e- of each other. So Keith and his wife and kids were killed within one, within one hour of one another. Um, and the um, Elaine, Peter, and the baby in the trailer had been killed 12 hours before they were found. And Keith had been dead for 24 to 36 hours before he was found. So he was killed before the family was, uh, yeah. the rest of the family. Um, he was just found, like, two days after. Um, so determining the motive of the um, assailants was really difficult for this case. Um, the back door of the trailer had been left open, and there was no evidence of forced entry. Um, a VCR and a portable camera were in plain sight in the living room, and, you know, were still there. When police showed up, so obviously it wasn't a robbery. Um, and then other places in the house were easily accessible cash and jewelry that were left. Um, so, again, arguing against robbery as a motive. And Elaine had not been raped or sexually assaulted in any way, so, like, that was ruled out as a motive. Um, police also found no evidence of extramarital affairs involving either Keith or Elaine. Um, that might, you know, have caused someone to get jealous and murder everyone. Um, a stack of papers with sports scores found in the house led them to wonder whether Keith had, um, been, you know, into gambling and if he had a gambling debt. Yeah. Uh, however, Joanne Dardine, Keith's mother, told the police that her son was so frugal that he raised money for his three-year-old son's college fund by reselling 50-cent cans of soda at work for a small profit. Maybe he was, um, um, so frugal because he was spending all his money on gambling and losing it. Maybe, yeah, but... You know who I think does that? He wasn't. What? Who? Saves all their cans. Hmm. Our Nate, a guy that lives up the street. Yeah, well, he wasn't saving cans. He was, like, he would buy like a twenty-four pack and sell it to his coworkers oh. for like fifty cents a can. Oh, I thought you meant the recycling. No, no, he oh. would be like, "Hey, you can buy soda from a can of soda for which, me for fifty cents." Yeah, which recycling? Yes, we should do, but I don't know. To say, no, you if you're doing it for a few cents, that's man, that's you get what like thirty cents for like a pound of yeah, it's, can. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Right. I remember when. My sister and I were younger. We would, like, take a one of those, um, it wasn't a sledgehammer. It was shaped like a triangle at the end. 
It was like heavy as a sledgehammer. Oh, I can't think of what it's called. Yeah, yeah I know. We would what you're take one about. of those and we would like crush bags and bags of cans. Like we would save up aluminum cans for months. And then, like, eventually we just get tired of doing that. So we'd line them up in like rows and we'd just run them over with the four wheeler <laughs> and crush them that way. And we'd take them in to the recycling place and we'd get like $4. Yeah. It was like nothing. Right. The recycling part is the good part. Yeah. But if you're doing that to as a way to make money, that's... Well, actually... Oh, no. Never mind. I was thinking, like, if you buy a 12-pack a of soda and then you go try to get your cans, you know, money for your cans, how much do you make back? But it would take so many before you actually... Oh, yeah. Yeah, never mind. Yeah. I was thinking about it, just wondering... Were you selling it for you know, higher than what the individual cost is smart. Like, back in the 80s, you spend, what, like $2 probably for, like, a 12-pack of soda? Yeah. That, and he was selling, you know, 50 cents for each can, so he was making well over what yeah. he was. That's smart. Yeah. But anyway, That's he, drug dealer. <laughs> he was so frugal with his money that he was already saving for Peter's college fund. When mm. Peter was three. Um, and he was doing this by selling the soda at work. Um. All right, so Joanne, the mom, uh, Keith's mom, she did not stop advocating for her son and his family after the murders. Like, she would not, every day she was out there, like, working to find out who did this. Um, She got, like, 3,000 people to sign a petition, and she went to the Oprah show, and she was like, you need to do a segment on my family's murders to figure out who did this. And Hmm. we were like, they were like, no, this is this is too hardcore for daytime television. Yeah. So they said no. Um, she called a detective who was assigned to the case regularly, like 10 years after the murders happened. She would regularly call him, tell him any, or her, I didn't say, tell them any information she, like, had gotten that she had heard that could possibly lead to, like, capturing the murderer. She would ask them, like, every time she called if there was any info that they had for her um and then eventually she went to she contacted america's most wanted um and at first they told her like no we're not going to put this on our show but then they finally agreed to do a segment on the murders but still nothing like they got no information but that was about to change when on december 31st 1999 a man in Texas named Tommy Lynn Sells, Brittany Lynn Spears. <laughs> That's what, okay. Anyway. It was just the same middle name, but. But it's also like Tommy, Brittany, Spears, Sells. Oh, okay. Okay, anyway. And he's a dude with the middle name Lynn. Isn't that weird? Is that no, weird? there's Lynn's. Is there? Yeah, no, yeah. Lynn Miranda Manuel. Lynn uh, no, Manuel there's. Miranda. There's Lynn. There's guy names. Guys named Lynn. Never met him. Okay, anyway, that doesn't matter. Whatever. I have a girl name. I don't care. Um, so, Tommy Lynn Sells, he, December 31st, 1999, cut the throat of two teenage girls um, with the intent to kill them, obviously. One of those girls survived and went on to identify Sells, um, who was then convicted and sentenced to death. Boom! How do, why does this matter? Because while awaiting trial, Sells started fessing up to all the other crimes he had committed since he was 15 years old. Dang! 
including the Dardeen murders. Um, in the mid-1980s, Sells was living primarily near St. Louis, roughly 90 miles northwest of Ina, um, and making money from working at traveling carnivals and fairs as a day laborer or through theft. Never trust anyone who works at a traveling carnival. Um, or he just stole stuff from people. Them carnies. Side note, um, during the time of his arrest, he looks just like Danny Masterson. I was just thinking of that show because uh, he was on the ranch. Yeah, like when he's in that 70s show. Yeah. Oh. Like he literally oh. looks just huh. like he could be, he could play his brother. That's funny. Yeah. Um, he even has like the same hair as Hyde in that 70s show. Okay. So, um, he often hitch rides with truckers or hopped freight trains without any particular destination in mind. He would just go wherever it ended up. Um, so he told, Sells told like three versions of why he killed the Dardeen family. Um, one version was that he claimed to have met Keith at a truck stop near Mount Vernon, Illinois. Um, and apparently Keith invited Sells home for dinner. I guess they got to talking. He was like, yeah, I don't. I'm kind of homeless, you know. Mm-hmm. I just work here and there, wherever I can. So Keith was like, hey, why don't you come home with me and my wife will cook us some dinner. So he did that. And after the meal, apparently, um, Tommy Sells, Tommy Lynn, was just, he was like planning on, you know, hopping a train and moving on to the next town or whatever. But then apparently Keith triggered his anger by sexually propositioning him um, saying, hey, do you want to have a threesome with me and my wife? <laughs> and this apparently made Tommy Lynn Sells, Brittany Lynn Spears, so angry that he forced Keith at gunpoint to drive into the field where his body was found, killed and mutilated him, then returned to the trailer to kill Elaine and Peter, who were witnesses to the you know gunpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, although he says it was at the time... Um, the result of uncontrollable rage that Keith's alleged sex- sexual offer had set him off. So he said him offering him this threesome made him so angry that he murdered this guy and his family. Another version was that Sells, um, he, hopped off a, he hopped off a freight train um, that he had gotten on near Ina. Um, and when he saw the Dardine trailer with its for sale sign up, he saw an opportunity for a killing. So after drinking some beers and waiting um, for the right time, he knocked on the door and told um, Keith that he was interested in buying the trailer. Um, He then overpowered Keith, made him bind and gag his wife and son with the duct tape and forced him to drive his car to the nearby field at gunpoint um, where he cut Keith's penis off, Uh. telling him he was going to take it back to Elaine. Then he shot him and left him there. Um, at the trailer, he raped Elaine, then beat Peter, Elaine, and the newborn baby to death. After cleaning up, he drove Keith's car to Benton, where he left it, the police station. Um, so out of those two, I definitely see the second one being more, you know, he like sees the for sale sign goes up. And that's what I always heard too, like going up, he hopped off a train, picked this random house and like decided to kill. That's what I always heard. Um, growing up, but uh, I'm going to talk about an interview literally in this next paragraph and um, a journalist interviews him and he says the threesome thing. 
Mm. That's his oh, story yeah, yeah. in this interview. Um, but the police also found that Elaine hadn't been raped. And oh. then he, he says, Sells says that he raped Elaine. So, um, I don't know. I don't yeah, know, man. but these people go in like a fit of rage. They probably don't actually like remember. Yeah, yeah, like I mean, probably. Okay, so back in 2010, um, this amazing, amazing journalist for the Southern Illinois newspaper, her name is Becky Malkovich. Um, she went down to Texas, where he was. He was in prison. Um, he, so he. Yeah, I said that right. He mur- he cut the two throats of the girl, was convicted, um, put on, sentenced to death, prison in Texas. And that's where he admitted to the Dardine, mm-hmm. right? Okay, so she went down to Texas to do an interview with him um, about the Dardine murders. Um, and there's, like, a really good article on it on the internet. Just type in, like, Southern Illinois and Tommy Lynn Sells, and it'll come up. Um, he looks nothing like he did back then in 2010. He kind of looks like my old physics teacher. From high Maybe school. he was. He wasn't. And like in the you never know the pictures that it shows him on the online article. He has like a tiny little flapper in his like a little crusty. Ew. You can see, and I'm like, oh god, oh it drives me crazy. Okay, you so want to pick it? No, I do not want <laughs> to go anywhere near him. Um, so in the interview, Sells talks about how he. He's like, I wasn't born a bad person. I, I, was born, I wasn't born with bad intent. Um, he says that the, imbu- the abuse he endured as a child caused him to murder people. Um, so in the article, he states, um, I know people got their doubts, but we'll never know because no one ever tried to help me. When your mother gives you to a pedophile, where's the help? And what in the right mind mother lets her seven-year-old boy sleep at a single man's house for years and thinks it's a healthy, okay thing? Between seven and 14 replays over and over and over in my mind. It don't quit. The pain don't stop. It's still there. I can't sleep a whole night without waking up with it. My mind is like a mirror and somebody's taken a hammer to it. Seems like after seven, I just became numb. I became a dark soul. I think every time I've killed someone, I've killed that person who abused me. So, um, in the interview, he also says that he ran away from home at 14 and committed his first murder by age 15. Hmm. Um, which, like, yeah, if you're subjected to extreme f- sexual abuse, probably emotional abuse as well, I could see you having so much anger. And if you don't know how to cope with that anger or release it healthily, that can lead to, you know, murdering people. But... There have been a lot of people who've been sexually abused as kids, and they don't become murderers. Right. You know, so. Yeah. That's not really an excuse, my dude. Okay. So, um, like, in the whole article, I skimmed through the whole thing. He appears to be, like, very aware of his actions and really, like, cooperative with the interviewer. He's very, not well-spoken, but, like, when he talks, it makes sense. You know, like, what I just read, like, that, you know, made sense. It was coherent to the topic that they were discussing um but apparently he has been on so many prescribed drugs since being in prison that like if he hadn't been on those drugs during this interview all like he wouldn't have been able to have this interview they said like before they got him on this prescription medication he would just scream Hmm. 
instead of like sitting down calmly and talking, he would just open his mouth and scream. Yeah, well, I'm sure he's not right. Yeah. Um, so, overall, Sills was linked to at least nine murders, um, ranging from one in New York, two in Illinois, one in Missouri, one in Massachusetts, one in Kentucky, and three in Texas. Dang. Yeah. Um, he claims he has murdered more people, but um, those are the ones they're pretty sure. That seems to happen a lot. Like, the people, they, they either claim that they murdered more, but then they, like, can't find any evidence that those other murders existed or... Yeah. Like, it's always kind of weird. They want the glory. Yeah. <laughs> they want the glory after they're caught. Yeah. Because <laughs> they don't get... If they wanted to get caught, they would just walk into the police station. Right. Yeah. Right. So, and we wouldn't have known who did this if he hadn't confessed to it. Which, yeah, that's crazy. I mean, he was already on death row. So, yeah. Like... Right. What do you have to lose? Um, so on January 3rd, 2014, so this was what, six years ago, um, a Del Rio, Texas judge set Sell's execution date for April 3rd, 2014. Um, his death sentence was carried out at the Texas State Penitentiary, Penitentiary in Huntsville, Texas. Um, when asked if he would like to make a final statement, he replied, No. <laughs> Um, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. As the lethal dose of pentobarbital was administered, he took a few deep breaths, closed his eyes, and began to snore. <laughs> um, less than a minute later, he stopped moving. And 13 minutes later, at 6.27 p.m. Ding dong, the bitch is dead. He was pronounced dead. And that is the Dardeen family murders. Huh. That's crazy. That's ooh, That's disgusting. Yeah. It truly is. That was the one we always heard about growing up. All the kids were like, oh, my God, this guy, like, jumped off a train and murdered this family and cut the baby out of the mom's stomach. But what about the baby? You don't know Seinfeld, so. Yeah, I'll keep it that way, too. Oh, whatever. Seinfeld is great. Mm. You can get out of here. All right. Okay, bye. So I'm going to do... I'm trying to pull it up here. The Golden State Killer. Oh! Do you know this one? Do I know this one? Yeah, do, do you? Do I know this one? Yes. Oh, okay. See, I don't want to ruin it, but... He was he was just hard? No. <laughs> he... Do I... Can you hear me? No, yeah. Oh. That's fine. Go on. Why don't you just say it? He was just caught recently. Yes. Yeah. 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 Like. <laughs> Thanks for ruining it. I know. That's why I said. <laughs> no, it doesn't matter. It's fine. Well, like three years ago. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Re- it was more recent than I thought, and I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Like, yeah. So that's that's why it's so long because it took place so long ago, and then now. Yeah. Uh, he's been caught. So, uh, his name is Josef Hams D'Angelo. His name's Joseph James D'Angelo. Um, I was like, Joseph what? <laughs> uh, James. Yeah, got it. James. Joe James. Hams. All right. He is a serial killer, rapist, and burglar. Piece of shit. <laughs> uh, let's see what you did there. That was good. Uh, he was born on November 8th, 1945 in <laughs> Bath, New York. 
I feel like it's probably not clean there. It's dirty bath water. Maybe it's around bathe. Bathe, maybe. But oh, I guess that would be bathe with an E at the end. I don't know. It's probably Can you bath. Imagine being like Because that's how you spell bath. I'm from Bath, New York. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Hoosier. He has <laughs> two he has two younger sisters. Uh at Nine or ten years old, he said to have witnessed his seven-year-old sister being raped by two airmen in a warehouse in West Germany where his family was living at the time. Uh, he was once engaged, um, but he, she reportedly broke off the relationship probably because he was a fucking psycho. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm no expert, though. Uh, He attended Sacramento State University where he earned his bachelor's degree in criminal justice. Hmm. Do you know how he got caught? Yeah, Michelle McNamara. Her book, Uh, like, led to his... uh, I don't know about that. The DNA? Yes, 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 yes. yes. Correct, yes. Oh, I didn't know. Okay, never mind. He then completed... The book narrowed it down I was tr- DNA. Yes, I was trying to see how much you knew about it. A I didn't lot. know if you were going to say... Like, Sorry, go on. Okay, anyways. All my shit's ruined now. I'm sorry. He then you, <laughs> completed it. It's not a, my fault you picked the Beyonce of the murder <laughs> world. Beyonce. This isn't the Beyonce. Yeah, this is like the one of the no. biggest murder, like no. serial killer stories. Well, I didn't pick like, no, because like John Wayne Gacy would have been an easy one. That would have been long as fuck too. But um, that was an easy one. Everybody knows he's the clown. Like, yeah. So I didn't pick him. Or, uh, yeah, he's boring. Or Jeffrey Dahmer. Ooh, like he's a good one. The, yeah, but they're two, they're two yeah, ones that yeah. are like yeah, no, I, I publicized I more than anybody else. Well, you know what I mean. Yeah. Okay, anyways, he then completed a 32-week police internship at the Roseville Police Department. I just think it's so crazy how he was an officer. That's so, how he got away with it. Yeah, yeah. So May 1973 to August 1976, he was um, in a burglary unit. Uh, or he, sorry, he was a burglary unit police officer in Exeter, having uh, relocated from Citrus Heights. This is all California. Um, And then in 1976, he was... Golden State. Yeah, but... Killer. But he grew up... He was born in New York, so... In Bath. Yeah, in Bath. So I'm just putting that... You're right, I'm sorry. I'm just 1976, he was promoted to sergeant uh, and was in charge of the Exeter Police Department as joint attack on burglary program. Um, yeah, th- that's fascinating because he, like, he moved up quickly. So, like, they liked him, you know? like Because he was a psychopath. Yeah, but, I mean, it's just, oh, it, it's mind-blowing that, like, that he did that. Mm-hmm. And then, like, nobody, even though you're a psychopath, you still, you still, like, if, if you spend, you know, like, everybody at, say you start spending time with somebody and you're like oh this is such a nice person and i you know but then you start spending more time with them and you're like you know like you with me now you can't stand my guts but when we <laughs> first started so dating you, you liked me. i still couldn't say no you liked me at first but now you just hate me so no, i think he probably like 
got to that point where he connected with people, he got them to like him, and then he didn't stick around. Like, he made... Yeah. He got well, to that point where it was, like, peak, like, oh, this guy's awesome, and then he, like, went away and hid. Well, okay, that's my next point, actually. So, he so he then... Um, he served in Auburn from August 1976 to July 1979. Um, and uh, the beginning of his crimes actually started in this time period. Um, but when he was arrested for shoplifting, um, shoplifting a hammer and dog repellent. I don't even know what dog repellent is. It said dog repellent, but like. I mean, keeps dogs off your <laughs> lawn, I guess. I have no idea. Yeah. Maybe like so they don't poop on your lawn. Maybe it's like some kind. I have no idea what dog repellent is. Probably. Who wouldn't want dogs around? Six dollars. Yeah. So anyways, uh, but then he was actually sentenced to six months on probation and then he was fired later that year. So now they're starting to see him for who he is. Uh, November 1973, he married Sharon Huddle and in 1980, they purchased a house in Citrus Heights, Citrus Heights, uh, where he was actually, this is the house he was arrested at just recently. Uh, so he, he had that house since 1980. <laughs> um, Sharon um, actually became an attorney in 1982. Hmm. So she was like a successful, you know, person. Mm-hmm. Like she's, she's no dummy. Like, you know, right. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Which is crazy, too, to think that. They also had three daughters. So the the mom, they separated in 1991. But, like, still, she was with her that long. And, like I said, she was she's no dummy. So, like, he, he must have hid this stuff really well. Yeah. Like, this behavior and, mm-hmm. you know. Um and then she so they were actually separated but she never actually filed divorce until last year wow yeah whenever he finally got caught she's like oh shit okay never mind they were probably maybe tax benefits i don't know some i have no idea i'm uh, just assuming that's not factual data or it's just really expensive to get or or yeah that's true or he's probably a psychopath, so he's like, if you divorce me, I'm going to take everything you own. Yeah, but she wasn't living with him, so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's everything but legal, you know. Anyways, uh, so most, uh, but actually, so um, from the time that he was fired and uh, from the other, you know, the police force and stuff until 2017, his employment was actually unknown. So they had no, they didn't even know what the fuck he was doing. Um, but they do know that like he worked as a truck mechanic, um, and, um, at a save Mart supermarkets distribution distribution center. Um, and then he was actually arrested in 1996 over an incident at a gas station. Um, uh, but then he, he was charged, but it was just dismissed. Uh, I'm not sure why. Uh, and then the other weird thing so this is what i'm saying like you they talk to people like you you hang out with people for a while and then you start to see the real them well like his brother-in-law said that he would bring up the east area rapist in conversation around the time of the original crimes so like he must have done it in a way for it to be memorable because like 
we talk about stuff all the time, but he must have done it in a weird way for him to remember all that. So, like, this is what I'm saying. Like, how did nobody see it? Like, that he's acting weird or see the red flags. Um, <clears throat> and then he was living with a, uh, when he was arrested, he was living with a daughter and a granddaughter at the time. Yeah. Which is, yeah. Uh, they took, um, so the span of his, all of his crimes were in 1974 to 1986. And they considered, or they uh, consisted of at least 13 murders and 50 rapes. And oh, they, they just estimated over 100 burglaries. But his MO would, he would break into houses, rape the women, and sometimes murder them i don't yeah we'll get we'll get into some of those yeah yeah um there were many nicknames given to him until they realized it was the same person person doing all the crimes Mm -hmm. so like whenever he would start doing you know because he was doing them in different locations and areas so like at the first like i said the brother-in-law called uh it was the east area rapist and that's who he was asking about and then the uh he was given the original night stalker and then the East Bay Rapist, and then the Diamond Knot Killer. The, um, they, whenever they started taking DNA tests from all of the, you know, separate, or separate cases, mm-hmm. then they realized it was the same person. The same. Yeah. yeah. And so. Michelle McNamara, um, the wife of Patton Oswalt. Oh, I didn't know that was her. Yeah, Patton, oh, I Patton didn't know that. Oswalt's wife, who passed away just recently yeah like 2016 i think she coined the term golden state killer that is literally my next oh really yes sorry yeah she was the one that was like why don't we just call him golden state killer since it's like Mm -hmm. yeah that was literally my next sentence i was about to say so uh on april 24th 2018 authorities charged 17 72 year old not 17 mm-hmm. 72 year old with eight counts of murder uh, because they had dna on these ones mm-hmm. um and then uh so i lost my place here uh there was also the first announcement that he this was related to the visalia ransacker crimes which was another that was another game name actually given to him mm. so um According, I thought I had that with the other bullet point, but I guess not. Um, according to California statute, oh yeah, this this is kind of BS. Um, so according to uh, California's statute of limitations on pre twenty seventeen rape cases, he could not be charged with the nineteen seventies rapes, but he was charged in uh, August August twenty eighteen with thirteen related kidnappings and abduction attempts. Um, so I looked up, I, did, I had no idea about this, so I looked it up. Uh, this, the law that I was referring to um, says that uh, they can only be commenced within 10 years of the commission of the offense. Um, this, is, this is thought to be inspired by Bill Cosby. I'm assuming because there started, like, allegations were made against people who weren't committing crimes you know what i mean they said that that happened but then there was it came out and there was really nothing so i i'm assuming that's why they're like hey if this happened you should say something 
Uh, Joseph's, Joseph's murders cases were linked to, um, these are all cities in California, Goleta, Ventura, Dana Point, and Irvine. Didn't, did we stay in Irvine? We passed Irvine, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We stayed in Marietta. Yeah, okay. Which is like that same area. Uh, two other murders were linked to Goleta, but they lacked DNA evidence. Investigators believe they were done by the same, they think the same serial killer did it. They also believed he linked, uh, he was linked to three other murders, two in Ranchos, Cordova, and one in Visalia, um, but they again didn't have enough DNA evidence to prove that it was him. Uh, he committed uh, more than 50 known rapes in California, counties of Sacramento, Contra Costa, Costa, Stanlias, I don't know, Stanislaus, uh, San Joaquin, Alameda, Alameda, Santa Clara, and no shit, the city's name is YOLO. YOLO! Oh, you just did a shaka. YOLO. In between all of these crimes, I've figured out what shaka is. I've always done the hand signal, but I didn't know. I didn't know there was a name for it. Yeah. It's like the hang loose, you know. Yes. Um, he committed Tell multiple. Yeah. He com- I was telling our audience here. Sorry, the two people who didn't know. <laughs> In between all of the crimes, he committed multiple burglaries, thefts, vandal- uh, vandalism, peeping, stalking, and prowling. Um April 1974, in between April 1974 and December 1975, he was believed to kill only uh, at least one person, and this was uh, the period of the Visalia Ransacker period. Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess, like, in between, there was periods, you know, like, where he got these nicknames. So he was, like, older when he did that, Visalia. Yeah, this was, yeah, because this was towards the end of the, all the stuff. Because yeah. it was like towards the end of so 1970s. Like oh, this, what was it? The he was born in 45. The Vesalia, what was those? What when What do you mean? Those? What do you mean? The ransacking, when did those take place? Oh, 1974 and 1975. Oh, I was thinking it was later on. Okay. Oh, yeah. Um, he mostly committed burglaries during this time, which involved breaking the houses and going through others' possessions and stealing smaller items, such as collector's coins and such. So, like, this isn't really... That's why he was called the ransacker and nothing more sinister, I guess. Not like a rapist or anything. Um, then, but just wait. He lets, he does it. So, uh, this is the East, East Area Rapist um, time period, which was between June 1976 um, and then 1979. Uh, he believed to move to the Sacramento area around this time, which... Uh, where his crimes progressed from burglaries to rapes at. They mostly occurred in unincorporated areas such as Carmichael, Citrus Heights, and Rancho Cordova, uh, which are actually, uh, they're located east of Sacramento. Um, Then, so, like, yeah. He would normally stalk women at night and find out which ones are alone in one-story homes. This is what I thought was weird. Uh, So, usually near a school... I don't know why they would say he was near a school. The other two make sense. Uh, he would find the house that was near a school, creek, or trail uh, so that he could make a quick escape if needed to. 
like I don't I don't know what a school would have to do with that a creek <laughs> and a trail makes sense because like you can you know book it uh, wherever like mm-hmm. down the woods and stuff um and he was apparently seen uh, he was actually seen numerous times but he was able to flee each time he was uh this is this is weird too um kind of scary actually he was known to prowl and do extensive research before he would go into the homes um and then he would break into by looking in their windows and finding out which ones really were home alone um at the time yeah Yeah. like oh man that's just that's crazy because like you can like you're just going about your day and you don't know yeah window watching you and you like have no idea i just that's why I like ours, like, our, our windows are all... I feel like someone's watching me through the front door. Yeah, yeah, the front door. But the front door, like, you can't see everything there. And then, like, in the basement, you know, we have that one window, like... Yeah, above yeah. the washing machine. Yeah. I always feel like when I'm doing laundry, someone's, like, crouched down washing machine. Yeah, I know. I yeah. always just think people are watching me. Yeah, because of people like this. Yeah. Um. Oh, it's so weird. What? when he got caught he looked like ed o'neill <laughs> yeah he kind of does <laughs> um he originally targeted women who oh i are fuck no wait i know i didn't say that he originally targeted women who were alone but he started to actually attack couples just by breaking into their windows or sliding glass doors and threaten them with a handgun He's getting cocky yeah um the female, so this is what you were asking. So the female victims would be forced to tie up their boyfriends before she was bound. The bindings were known to be so tight that their hands were numb for hours after being untied. <clears throat> he would stack uh, dishes on the men's backs. So like after they were tied up and they would be like laying down or something, he would stack dishes on their backs and then say if he heard the dishes rattle, he would kill them all. That's so much. Stuff. Yeah. Uh, then he would move the women to the living room and rape them, rape them repeatedly for hours. Mm. Um, Dan ran, ransacked their closets and drawers, eat food in the kitchen, drink their beer, and then continuously rape the female. That part's not funny, but it's just like, yeah. You would think they'd be able to get DNA off that. Off of well, right well, they they like did. Then. Oh yeah, yeah. So this, uh, I was wondering, like. DNA was a thing though. Yeah, well that's true. That this is really early. So I was wondering like well I guess like when you and I get a job, we don't like they don't take our thumbprints and stuff. Right. But I wonder how My that works in the law. Oh really? Mm-hmm. That's what I was wondering. Because I was working I'm working for um like social services, so I had to go Yeah. Okay. To the education department of Illinois or whatever and get my thumbprints. So I, yeah, so I didn't know. I don't know how law enforcement works. Like I have no idea, but it's a government job, right? Yeah. What? Law like, enforcement. Yeah. Yeah. So like, do they take your stuff? Like, I would think so. Yeah, that's why I'm wondering. But uh, th- that I don't know. But this that maybe not in the seventies. Listen, I don't know anything about anything. So uh, yeah, I know. Me too. I'm literally yeah. just coming up with all of this as I go along. I yeah, uh, but maybe in the nineteen, maybe they do now, but they didn't in the seventies. So I, I, it's a it's a thought. Um, and then like the weird thing too, sometimes like after he had um like 
he was done. They thought he would actually leave the house and then they would like start to move around, but then he actually wasn't. Ooh. Yeah. Do you imagine yeah. him just like Hello? coming out of the bathroom yeah. like are them those dishes out here rattling? Yeah, yeah. I don't know why I gave him a southern accent. Yeah. Um he's from New York, so Yeah. Did I hear Without the <laughs> without was the, uh, what was I saying? I don't know. Okay. Were those them dishes I hear rattling? Here. Rattling? He was always believed to escape foot uh, through the yards, and then he used a bicycle to escape to a car. So, like, he Sorry, would go to foot. He 12? <laughs> he would go, like, foot to bicycle and then take the bicycle to get to his car. He would park far away intentionally so that, like, nobody could say, hey, his... We saw a right. green, you know, yeah, uh, station wagon right. out front. Yeah. So I guess that's like kind of smart, but. Um, He's still stupid. Well, he is. Um, December 1977, someone claiming to be the East Area Rapist sent a poem called Excitement's Crave to the Sacramento Bee, which, which was like a newspaper. The Sacramento Mayor's Office and television station KVIE. On December 11th, a masked man eluded pursuit by law enforcement personnel after alerting authorities by telephone that he would strike on Watt Avenue that, that night. So I have the poem. So the poem read, All those mortals surviving birth upon facing maturity <clears throat> take inventory of their worth to prevailing society. Choosing values become a task on oneself must seek satisfaction. The selected route will unmask character when when plans take action. Accepting some one some work to perform at fixed pay but promise for more is a recognized social norm as is decorum seeking lore. Achieving while others lifting should be cause for deserving fame. Leisure attempts excitement seeking what's right and expected seems tame. Jesse James as being as been seen by all and son of Sam as an author. Others now feel temptations call. Sacramento should make an offer to make a movie of my life that will pay for my planned exile. Just now, I'll, I'd like to add the wife of a mafia lord to my file. Your East Area Rapist and Deserving Pest. See you in press or on TV. You douchebag. Yeah. Yeah, he was very cocky. Um, and then there was actually, so there was uh, three sheets of notebook paper that were found near a suspicious vehicle that had been reportedly parked but no association to the East Area Rapist. The first sheet was an essay on General George Armstrong Custer, the second sheet describes a teacher who made students write lines, which the author found humi humiliating. So, like, I read it. So, it was like, you know, like, remember whenever you would get in trouble in school? And then, I will not talk in class. I will yeah, not yeah, talk yeah. In class. So, like, it was pretty much like saying, like, it was making fun of those kids, but then, like, uh, it was done in, like, a quirky way. It, it, there, it was really what long. Say? So, what? What they say? Uh, I don't, I don't remember. I didn't put I it down because it was, women. yeah. I will not kill women. Oh, no, no, no. It didn't say, it didn't actually say the lines. It was like talking about kids writing lines. Oh. Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. It was, it was super long. Like it was a full notebook piece of paper. So like I didn't. What a loser. Yeah. 
Um, so then, then there were phone calls that were actually like he would call into the police. Um, so th- on March 18th, 1977, he called Sacramento police and claimed to be the East area rapist. Um, but none were recorded. Uh, and then there were two calls, one at 4:15 and 4:30 PM. They were identical and ended with the caller laughing and hanging up. The final call came in at five with the caller saying that he was the East side rapist or East area rapist. And, uh, he would have his next victim victim stalked and that the cops would not catch him. Um, and he actually did commit the crime that night. Um, so, so like he told him and he still got away with it. Um, but he was a cop at the time. So, uh, December 2nd, 1977, he was once again called police and he said, you're never going to catch me. East area rapist, you dumb fuckers. I'm going to fuck again tonight. Be careful. Uh, this time the call was recorded and later released and he attacked again that night. I wonder if like he brought his police uniform with him and like when he left the house, put it on. So that if, like, someone sees a police officer, like, walking around with, like, a flashlight or something, they're like, oh, he's just, like, patrolling this yeah. area, and they didn't think anything of it. Yeah, yeah, I have no idea. But wasn't he fired at this point? Or was it No, uh, seventy was that 79 or something like oh, that? Oh, so yeah. after all of this. Yeah, it, uh, something like that, yeah. Uh, December 9th, 1977, he called police and said, Merry Christmas, it's me again. He's a How little early. Are you? Yeah. Uh, December 10th, 1977, shortly before 10 p.m., he called police and told them he was going to hit again uh, tonight on Watt Avenue. Um, he called twice and both were re- recorded and identified himself as the same person who had called on December 2nd. Uh, the night cops were present on Watt Avenue and a masked man escaped at 2.30 a.m., after being spotted on a bicycle on Watt Avenue Bridge. He, so they, like they saw him at 2.30, they couldn't find him. Then he was spotted again at 4.30 a.m., so two hours later, and he ditched the bicycle. He then fled on foot and got away, obviously. Um, and then they found out the bike had actually been stolen. Um, on January 2nd, 1978, he called, um, he called the first known rape victim and threatened to call her later that evening. He said, gonna kill you, gonna kill you, gonna kill you, bitch, 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 fucking whore. And then he hung up. Was he having a stroke? Yeah. <laughs> gonna kill, gonna kill you, gonna get, you bitch. you imagine answering bitch, the bitch. phone and all you hear is, gonna kill you gonna kill you gonna yeah it was you. probably fucking freaky oh god yeah he was probably sitting right out her window i would just oh no there wasn't cell phones i would just hang <laughs> yeah never mind <laughs> yeah, you yeah. see the the cord like coming out of the window yeah <laughs> but then how would she answer the phone? yeah I don't know. anyway he pressed like the home we're obviously button. millennials god, yeah um no what's the uh could you imagine though answering and that's all yeah it would be scary i would immediately just hang the phone up yeah it would be that would be uh pretty scary (laughs) that reminds me on little nicky whenever it's uh what's his name is it john lovitz is that his name whenever he's in the tree (laughs) he's peeping yeah yeah. he's peeping and he's like mom what is there who is that man she's like oh yeah he's like i'm not i'm a big bird (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) 
Uh, so anyways, uh, <laughs> January 6th, 1978, um, a man claiming to be the East area rapist called the contact counseling service and said, I have a problem. I need help because I don't want to do this anymore. After a little bit, uh, the caller said, I believe you are tracing this call and hung up. Yeah, we were I actually, mean, I don't know if they were, but they should have been. Uh, he said many more times claiming, or he called many more times claiming to be the East area rapist and patronizing his victims. Uh, DNA was recovered from each case and later all linked together, like I said, and found out it was the same person. Um, April 24th, 2018, Sacramento County arrested James, oh, Josef Hams D'Angelo, a former police officer in Auburn and Exeter, California. He was charged with eight counts of first-degree murder. Uh, I think I mentioned that earlier. Uh, May 10th, the Santa Barbara County District Attorney's Office charged D'Angelo with four additional counts of first-degree murder. Um, Detective Paul Holes uploaded the killer's DNA profile to the personal genomics genomics, genomics, website GED Match. The website identified 10 to 20 distant relatives of the Golden State Killers, which shared the same great-great-great-grandparents. So they constructed a family tree from these results and identified two suspects, which left D'Angelo and the main suspect. Yes. What? Paul Holes. Paul Holes. He did that. Yeah. Is that what you knew? Did you know that? Well, yeah, mm-hmm. he is. So the podcast I listen to, My Favorite Murder. Yeah. He's like friends with them. And oh. they own oh. a podcast network, and he has a podcast on their network. Oh. Him and a um, true crime journalist like, talk about murder cases. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Huh. But yeah, he and so um, I can wait until after you're done. No, uh, that's all I have. Oh, I was just going to say, um, so Patton Oswalt's wife. Catherine McNamara, she was a true crime journalist, and she was writing a book about the Golden State Killer called I'll Be Gone in the Dark, and while she was writing it, she was like halfway done, and she died. Um, Oh, I I didn't know that. Yeah, she, I think she got sick, and died, she was sick, and died, um, I'm not for sure, though. Yeah, I'm pretty sure she died from some kind of sickness, it wasn't like drug-related. She had cancer, Yeah. yeah. yeah, um. And died. So then Patton Oswalt, and which if you don't know who that is, you you know his face. If you King don't know of Queens. his name. Yeah, he's been in everything. But um he and Paul Holes got together and finished this book oh. in her name. Wow. I didn't know and that. And published it, yeah. So and it helped them catch D'Angelo. Like all the information she had collected from her journalist work, like mm-hmm. basically was like a she's a real journalist like a breadcrumb trail yeah huh like she yeah that's crazy yeah it was like her life's work was on the golden state killer well yeah i mean from the 70s to Mm -hmm. then that's crazy yeah huh interesting yeah messed up yeah anyways yeah so that's our january one yeah um, so I've been, I've been feeling really down lately with all this murder and stuff. Probably doesn't help, but I listen to murder podcasts. Yeah. And you eat, breathe murder. and sleep this stuff. Yeah. But you're about to do it whenever I, you finally get sick of me. Whatever. Um, oh wait, 
So I think that to lighten it up a little bit next week, we should do um, like I survived stories, okay. like survival. Okay. I'm a survivor. My lips play and it yeah. ends up. <laughs> All right. Oh, uh, the outsider starts in like 10 minutes. So oh, yeah. I need to get this shit. I'm gonna exported some, and saved. I'm gonna so, get some right. crackers and cheese. You get okay. You get the dipping all right. sauces. All right. Okay. All right. Survivor stories next week. Yeah. All right. Bye. The underworld.